Howdy, listeners of Even the Future here. We have a special guest on our show this week. His name is Patrick Hicks. Uh, he has an incredible TikTok, Patrick Hicks82. And just like any podcaster recording remotely, there was a little bit of a weird thing that happened with his vocals, specifically. A couple times throughout the show, like the volume just goes crazy high and distorts a little bit. So um, enjoy it. The first one comes in at around 17 minutes. Um, you'll have just enough time for you to forget that we ever had this conversation and for you to be scared as hell when his voice distorts. Uh, apologies. I have literally no idea how it happened. Um, so I can't promise you that it won't happen again. Enjoy the show. Oh, New York in the house, and Brooklyn in the house. <laughs> you're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you're dancing in the moonlight, everybody's free. On the close up time to dance, <laughs> baby Jack. Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch. This is the show that is so, so very deep in your daydream that it's just a sweet, sweet fantasy, baby. Excellent work. <laughs> I'm Lindsay Tucker. I am your host. I am joined today by Aviv Rubenstein. Aviv, hello. Hello. It is I, Aviv Rubenstein, the co-host of the show. And a little, little backstory before we get into the episode today. I have a TikTok, and Lindsay also has a TikTok, and we just, I, I would just send her show episode ideas, and she stopped checking her TikTok, so now it's just like a repository of episode ideas f- f- that I want to do. And <laughs> I noticed, haven't checked my TikTok in like eight months. Yeah, right. But I've noticed that all of these, like a, a huge portion of these TikToks are coming from the same creator, and you heard his voice during our Malcolm McLaren episode um, because he talked a little bit about how um, About Damn Time, the Lizzo song, pays the estate of Malcolm McLaren thanks to Buffalo Gals and Eminem and everything else. Um, And his name is Patrick Hicks, and he's joining us today on the show. Woohoo! Hello. Thank you, Aviv. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. Excited to be here. Instead of me cribbing from you for the next six <laughs> months we decided to invite you on because the tiktok that i saw about today's episode positively blew my mind yeah i'm obsessed I haven't with seen this story it. yeah so because someone someone has to be ignorant here yes. so it's me <laughs> so so i i know a very little bit about what we're talking about today and Lindsay knows nothing which is just the way it should be <laughs> Um, so first, tell us a little bit about yourself, Patrick. You are on TikTok. You have a great channel. And basically, all you do is talk about these incredible kind of reinvention or, I don't know, incredible music stories that like feels very aligned with what we're doing. Yeah. So I uh, I mean, I've been watching TikTok for a couple of years, and I never thought I would be on TikTok. And then earlier this year... I just always, you know, try to stay creative, doing something interesting. Like I kind of want to be a writer. So I'm always usually writing something, working on a script or different projects. And uh, earlier this year, my wife was like, you should do something creative for 30 days, like do a challenge. She did her own thing. She made an NFT and like knew nothing about NFTs and got into the whole like NFT world for a minute. And uh, so I'm like, all right, what can I do? I want to do something on TikTok. And I just kind of thought, like, all right, I know a lot about music. Maybe I'll make 
TikToks where I tell a music story and it was only just supposed to be a 30 day challenge. And uh, maybe the third or fourth video I did got like 10,000 views, which wow. just seemed crazy. And my wife's like telling all her friends, like Patrick's on TikTok, he's got 10,000 views on this one video. It's ridiculous. And then after like a couple weeks, I had 500 followers. And we're like, this is crazy. 500 people are watching Patrick tell these stories that like nobody would ever listen to me tell before. <laughs> and then it just didn't stop. And we're like, all right, let's just keep seeing where it goes and let's keep going. And uh, so now I have like 130,000 followers. Uh, I've had videos get like 3 million views. Incredible. Um, it's just totally insane. And, uh, and yeah, you I'm just did a collab with another music guy that I really like, which is the... Um... He doesn't talk, but he just like will do like a tech. Like I saw you in the car with him about Jacob the first Givens. Foo Fighters. Yeah. So he's actually one of the reasons that I started. He was kind of the inspiration because when I watch TikToks, I don't really watch that much music content. I watch like mostly cooking videos and stuff or like funny skits. And so when I was like, well, would anybody watch music stories? I thought of Jacob Givens and I was like, he makes music content like he yeah. does kind of these reaction skits to like what it was like to hear certain music in the 90s. Usually and I was like, hey, if, if people are watching this guy, maybe they'll watch my music stuff. So when yeah. he became a like he started following me on TikTok. So I just gushed and told him, like, you're the reason I'm making TikToks. And I was out visiting L.A. and we like met up and did a video together, which was really cool. Give me a call next time. I'm here in Silver Lake. <laughs> For sure. I'm from uh, Southern California originally, so oh, no I shit. go back very often. Speaking of Southern California, perfect segue of Eve. Good job. <laughs> An update on our Blink-182 episode. Oh, As yes. of this morning, <laughs> Blink-182 has reunited. Oh, I saw that. The Tom is I back. I actually saw this yesterday. Oh, well, excuse Ooh. the fuck out of me, Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay had the scoop. Um, yeah, so Blink-182, I wouldn't call it the original lineup but the original lineup with travis barker uh is going back on tour in 2023 2024 where we'll see we did there. <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying it was because of our episode we're not saying it's not but we're not we, there's no way to there's no way to know <laughs> so patrick what are we talking about today whoa, whoa, all right whoa, so whoa, today whoa. we have one other oh, thing oh, sorry other sorry thing. patrick <laughs> no, oh, just go fuck myself it's fine uh we have to Send a very heartfelt thank you to yes. someone, Amanda Horn. Um, Amanda Hugging Kiss. We want to thank Amanda for supporting the show. Um, she is a new monthly donor. If you want to support the show, you can go to lyricsforlunch.com and click on support the show. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for Patrick this coffee. Cheers. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So perfect re-segue. What are we talking about today, Patrick? Today we're talking about two artists, right? So Ooh. Mariah Carey, and we're also talking about a sort of obscure band from the 90s called Chick. Have you ever heard of Chick, Lindsay? I've heard of Chick, Chick, Chick. Different. That's Different. the sequel. Just, just Chick, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. No exclamation points in the name. Um, <laughs> then potentially no. Okay. And there's a reason we're talking about those two. So Lindsay texted me this morning was like, are we talking about like the Tom Tom Club? Or are we talking about this? And I'm like, no, you have no idea. <laughs> the Tom Tom Club will be mentioned. We're talking All specifically right. about the album Daydream. Okay. And about the band Chick. But we'll get there. 
here's the important things you need to know for the story. It's about Mariah Carey. It's about Daydream. It also is kind of linked to her marriage to Tommy Mottola. So I think we kind of have to start there okay. to like a little bit of what Mariah was up to before Daydream. And then we'll get into the heart of the story. Lindsay always makes fun of me because we, I like identify the, the song of the week. And then I'm like, 1865. <laughs> it was a rainy Wednesday. It's literally it's like so, never about the song. It's so hard to know as far as you want. where to start. So I'm not going to start like from childhood. I'm, I'm going to go back to 1988. So only seven years. Um, okay. In 1988, Mariah Carey meets Tommy Mottola. So Mariah Carey had gotten work as a teenager as a background singer. And she's working as the background singer for this singer named Brenda K. Starr. Not sure if you've heard of her. Not really important, except that Brenda K. Starr gets invited to this like holiday party for Columbia Records. This is December 1988. And at this holiday party, the legend goes, Mariah Carey, who's just the backup singer, like she's just a plus one at this party, she meets Tommy Mottola, who is the head of Columbia Records. And she has with her her own demo tape of like four songs that she's made in like her friend's basement. And she slips this demo tape to Tommy Mottola. Then she leaves the party. Tommy Mottola is driving home. He's like in the back of his limo or something. He puts this cassette tape on and then tells the driver, stop the car, turn it around, get back to the party. This is the greatest voice I've ever heard. He gets back to the party and Mariah Carey's already gone. And so... He spends like the next few weeks looking for her. It's like this Cinderella. Oh my God! Do we have? Is there like a? Can we listen to this demo tape? Is it? Does it exist on online? All the songs from the demo were re-recorded for her first album, so those songs definitely would be. I'm not sure about the demo version. Okay, so the legend of this is: oh, it's this Cinderella story. She's missing, and he's looking for her. Uh, except he's not the Prince Charming. It's a little creepy. She's 18 at the time, and he's 40. And is married and has two kids. A little creepy. Oh, good. Super creepy. <laughs> uh, so, but he writes later. We, we don't. I don't think we know exactly when they start. You know, getting together in a romantic fashion. But he writes later, like they flirted from the very beginning. So it's real gross. See also our Alanis Morissette episode. But at least at first, it's uh, it's on the surface professional. So he eventually finds Mariah Carey, signs her to Columbia Records for um, a record deal, and then puts out her debut album in 1990, self-titled debut album, and starts off a little slow and then becomes a huge smash hit. What were the, like, the singles, the hits from that one? So her first single uh, ever, which went to number one, is called Vision of Love. The guitarist name on this is Jimmy Rip. <laughs> oh. Interesting. Oh, it's like she's doing like a Whitney thing. Yeah. Which I suppose if you if you like didn't know who Mariah Carey was in 1990 and you tried to market her you would be like yeah do like a Whitney Houston R&B thing which is not what I typically associate her with I think Whitney was definitely a big influence this is cool and definitely they wanted to position her as a rival to Whitney 
for sure. Did, did she and Whitney do the Prince of Egypt soundtrack together? Was that them? Or did they ever do a song together? Wasn't there that song, There Can Be Miracles? Were they both on that? They have a song together called When You Believe. I gotta look it up. Yeah, that's when the Miracles believe. one. There yeah, can yeah. be miracles. Yep, when that's one. That's that's from the Prince of Egypt soundtrack. Well, there you go. We're both so I don't think I know this song. I've never heard this song before. It was a number one hit, but it's uh, it's probably the most upbeat song on that album. The album is very pop. They were definitely marketing her as a less urban version of Whitney Houston. She was supposed to be a pop star. She was supposed to sure. be almost like adult contemporary, although that comes up a little bit more later. But I'm glad you brought up Whitney because now we have to introduce another character that's very important to the story. He's a guy named Walter, and I will always butcher his last name, Afanasif. <laughs> he is Nailed a it. Brazilian-born Russian jazz keyboard player who uh, in the 80s went by the name Baby Love. And he was just kind of like a keyboard player that played with a lot of different people, but kind of got his big break when he played on Whitney Houston's debut album. And he was just a keyboard player for her. And then he got into producing a little bit. And he plays keyboards and produces one song on Mariah's debut album. And that's just called Mariah Carey. And she's got Correct. she's on the cover, close up, curly, super curly hair. Yeah. Um, but so there was a, another guy, the guy who she'd actually done her demo in the basement of his house, who was her primary songwriter and collaborator. And they had this big falling out when she signed to Columbia because apparently she had signed a contract way before any of this saying that whenever she made it big, she was going to give this guy like half of her money from everything, not just from songwriting, but per- from performing. And when she signed with Columbia, he got moved to just like songwriting royalties as he should be. Cause that would be a super unfair deal. Um, so they had this falling out. Sounds like a deal that like best friends make in in the in the basement, right? Like, <laughs> right. She's like, I'm a teenager, yeah. and yeah. Uh, so she has a falling out with this guy. His last his last name is Margulies. I can't remember his first name right now. But so after this, she gets a lot closer with Walter, and they become kind of a pair that collaborate on all her albums going forward, at Walter's, least up until Daydream. Walter's baby love. Walter Baby Love. He does not go by Baby Love anymore, but uh, that'd be easier to say than Afanasif. But Walter. So her debut album is this huge hit. It goes like nine times platinum in the US, 15 million copies worldwide. She has four number one singles off of it, becomes a massive star. For her follow up, she starts asserting a little more creative control. So a big part of the story, too, is she's in this relationship with Tommy Mottola, who's very controlling in the relationship and as kind of the overseer of her career. He's picking all the producers that she's working with, the songwriters, her image, the kind of songs that she's putting out. He controls everything on the first album. And then starting with her second album, which is called Emotions, she starts pushing for more control. She wants to be writing more songs, picking more of the people that she collaborates with, and 
it kind of starts this war between her and her record company, which her record company is also headed by this guy who's going to become her husband. So it's this weird mix of personal, professional, uh, and there's a lot of tension. It also feels like it's like an easy way for him to emotionally manipulate, like, right, like he can control her in every aspect, right? Because he's far older than she is. He's like using her as his like new cash cow or whatever. Right, 100%. And also they have this like weird kind of sexual tension, which is or is not. I don't know. Are they like together secretly at this point? Basically, as soon as he signs her officially in 1990, he divorces his wife of 20 years, who he had two kids with. Great. He had been married longer than she was alive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The next album is Emotions. And it doesn't. And so she's pushing for more control. She wants to have more of an R&B sound. And this one, she's actually pushing for more of like an old school Motown R&B kind of vibe. Uh, she also around this time, she does an MTV Unplugged. And does a cover of uh, the Jackson 5 song, I'll Be There. Oh, yeah. So she's pushing for more R&B, but it's more old school R&B. Let's listen to her cover of I'll Be There. Sure. So we've gone a little bit more gospel-y with this. Yeah, for sure. There's gospel influences that start coming in and soul influences. Mariah had a very, you know, diverse range of stuff that she listened to. And she was just always pushing for more of those influences to come into her music. this album the unplugged well was it only on unplugged or did she have this on uh the album that had like always be my baby and stuff on it it might have been on a greatest hits but i think it originated on unplugged so the second one is emotions and it doesn't do as well as the first album which i mean we have to qualify it still sold four million copies in the u.s like it was still a failure big hit but it didn't go to number one it only went to number four uh and so tommy matola uses this as proof like see you should have listened to me like we got to go into more even more of a pop sound so for the next record he wants it to be like marketing her into adult contemporary he doesn't want her to have any kind of like contemporary r&b two of the songwriters that she brought in for emotions were uh from the group cnc music factory remember them from everybody dance now yeah so that's like the kind of stuff she wanted to do dance music and 
because of the failure of this record that only went to number four and sold, uh, you know, eight million copies eventually. He was like, okay, next record, we're going all ballads. We're going way more adult contemporary. It's worth noting, uh, in case listeners are wondering, Tommy Mottola is white, like a white dude. So it seems like he's kind of pulling her into what he, his like, his conception of who she should be, right? Because I don't, like, I don't know if the person of color would like have the same kind of reaction to like, don't do gospel, don't do whatever. Like you got to do pop, pop only. But there definitely, I don't know if if she's talked about it as much, but there definitely does seem to be a a racist component. Like Tommy Mm Mottola is trying to keep her from doing black music. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, If you don't know the background of Tommy Mottola, he got his start basically as uh, Holland Oates' manager in the seventies. That was kind of his first prominent role they wrote a song about him actually on their self-titled album uh and they called him gino but uh, anyway then he eventually worked his way up you know working at record labels worked his way up to the head of this company and then at some point actually columbia records their parent company is sony entertainment and tommy Mottola gets a promotion and he actually becomes the ceo of sony so he's now like not even her record label he's at the big company that's even above her record label so like even more control so 1993, she comes out with the album Music Box. And th- this one is uh, way more ballads. If you know, the biggest song, I think, from this record was the song Hero. When a hero comes along. I mean, it's a classic. I think she still performs it, but it's it's very, you know, it's a ballad. Very pop, very adult contemporary. Lindsay and I are the same age. And so I don't. I, I wonder if this is the same for you. But this is my first introduction to Mariah Carey. And I learned it, I, I was exposed to it because at my like fourth grade talent show, like four different <laughs> young girls sang, sang that. this song. And like, hero like breathily whispered <laughs> hero. Um, yeah, and so I don't know one. if I've ever heard the Mariah version because I've only ever heard <laughs> no, like you've heard it. Amy Chesnov in the fourth grade. And Shout out Amy Chesnov. Yeah. Friend of the show, Amy Chesna. <laughs> this album also had Dream Lover on it. And I'm wondering what Dream Lover was the first. first. Single, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. So this album, massive hit. This is actually her biggest selling album ever. I think it's 28 million copies worldwide. Jesus. So of course, Tommy Mottola is like, I, I was, was right. right. You yeah. should always listen to me. This is what we have to do. But she didn't. She still is like fighting for creative control. One thing on this record, she does work with Babyface for the first time. And one of the most important R&B producers of the 90s. Yeah. And he's going to play a big role in Daydream as well. But they work together for the first time on this record. So she's getting like little bits, like getting some, you know, things that she wants, but still very much being controlled by Tommy Mottola. In 1994, she does her Christmas album. Yes, I was just starting to wonder when is it going to be Christmas? (laughs) Oh my God. Which I think is cool. It's kind of a weird move to go from, you know, like three hit albums in a row to now I'm going to do a Christmas album. Uh, But this obviously ends up being a huge smash. Uh, All I Want for Christmas. All I Want for Christmas is You. Yeah. One of the biggest selling singles of all time. Every year goes back to number one. Yeah. Uh, And it should be noted that so there's on that record there's three original songs including All I Want for Christmas is You and she wrote all of them with Walter Baby Love. We got Baby Love and we got Baby Face. A fun So many babies. Yeah. Always be my baby. <laughs> Always be my baby. Um so 
I wonder the Christmas album. I because I, I know a lot of pop groups at this time were for like the Backstreet Boys had to do a Christmas album too. Did and like ninety eight degrees and sync yeah. every single one. Well, this is that's later. I mean, maybe they're like taking the Mariah Carey playbook. This is what I think. Right? Is that that this album was like such a huge like you know all I want for Christmas is you was such a huge crossover hit that like they're like well this is you know go back to the well. Okay, so now (laughs) we're caught up. Now we're at Daydream. So this is going to be her fifth album. She's married by this point. So her and Tommy Mottola, they get married in 1993. She's 23. He's 44. Um, She writes later that her honeymoon was miserable. She was just like on the beach alone crying the whole time. Oh, my God. It's a very sad situation. Poor girl. So now they're going into, she's recording her, her fifth album, Daydream. And now she is kind of sick of listening to the powers that be. She's like, I want to do things my way on this record. And what she wants to make is like dance music. She's really into hip hop and like more contemporary R&B. And she wants to bring those influences in. And the record label obviously does not want this. Or I don't know. I don't know why I say obviously, because I think it was dumb on their part. But but Tommy Mottola being like a phobic of her, of her being a quote unquote black artist. Of course, he's not going to allow her to embrace any of that. Right. So, so again, like she doesn't get exactly what she wants. She doesn't have full creative control, but she's getting more and more. She gets to work with some hip hop producers. So she works with Jermaine Dupree. Um, she works with this guy, Dave Hall, and she records this big hit song, Fantasy. <laughs> Are we going to talk at all about Heartbreaker? I love that song. I still listen to it. But it's the same sample, isn't it? No. Am I crazy? Tom Tom Club? Heartbreaker and Fantasy are the same song? Yes, you are crazy. What? One's do 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 do, and the other one's give me your love, give me your love. Give me your love, give me your love, give me your love, give me your love. It's like, they like kind of fit on top of each other (laughs) to me. Do the Jay Z rap over this. opposite of a fantasy it's my nightmare <laughs> nightmare but her her marriage to tommy was a nightmare oh, it's a metaphor it's a metaphor for her life <laughs> i mean definitely she did have a lot of like metaphors about the relationship in her videos oh really yeah there's a, like after they divorced there's a bunch of a bunch of clues in, in a lot of her videos <laughs> we're back to taylor swift again <laughs> that has to be another episode yeah
The origins of fantasy is that Mariah is driving around. It seems like she did a lot of driving around listening to music because this kind of comes up a lot when she talks about this record, which kind of makes sense. It's, I, it feels like that was the only way that she could be free. That's the only time like she's alone. She's in her car. She gets to listen to whatever she wants. Um, but she writes about in her memoir that even driving, like leaving the house caused a fight with Tommy just to like drive five minutes away to get something to eat would cause like a bunch of drama. Um, so I think it's very symbolic. She's driving in her car and genius of love. The Tom Tom club song comes on the radio. So if you don't know, that's the song that the sample for fantasy is built around. Tom Tom club is a side project of talking heads. It's the bass player and the drummer, uh, from talking heads who are a married couple who started this kind of disco ish dance side project called Tom Tom club. They had yeah. this big hit with genius of love. And we've talked about them in our Talking Heads episode. Um, it's Tina Weymouth and Chris Franz. I think actually Tom Tom Club came first, maybe? They started it in college. I'm not oh, really? 100% sure oh, okay. but I think so. But they did, I mean, they definitely didn't have a hit until post Talking Heads. Like, right, the, like the song's this song. 81. Yeah. Because Talking Heads was se- started in 75-ish. Um, but yeah, here's here's a little clip of Genius of Love, and you can hear the sample that is reused in fantasy didn't this song appear in stop making sense Mm -hmm. so that yeah um i think uh david byrne takes a break to get into the big suit and uh they play genius of love while he's like doing costume paint or something so is this officially a sample or is this an interpolation like did they just take the take the recording or did they re- recreate it it is a sample so they sampled it but they also added strings and like added some additional production elements but it is a sample and okay isn't there like a fantasy like odb remix oh yeah oh we'll get to that okay. <laughs> <laughs> so mariah carey's driving her car she hears the song she starts kind of singing along her own words to the song and is like oh i think this could be a great song. So she brings it to this guy, Dave Hall, and he had been a producer, a hip hop producer that worked with groups in the eighties, like brand Nubian father MC. And then kind of his big breakout thing was that he worked on the album. What's the four one one, the Mary J Blige debut album. So a lot of cred and she brings him the sample. He kind of works on it, adds some strings and some additional instrumentation. And together they create the song fantasy. They have to play it for Tommy Mottola first. Which I thought was kind of weird, and he says, "Like, okay, you're allowed to include this on the album." It's interesting that she's using kind of the hip hop ethos of sampling without doing hip hop, right? Because like pop music wasn't sampling stuff at this time. Exactly. So this is like a little bit of rebellion for her. I mean, it's very still, you know, a very poppy song, but to use a sample was even a big deal. To work with this kind of producer, you know, she had to fight against her record company for. And then it comes to the remix for the song. So Mariah Carey insists on using the rapper Old Dirty Bastard on the remix. And the record company is so against oh, it. New York in the house. It's Brooklyn <laughs> in the house. I mean, to me, his verse is like one of the most iconic so verses of the 90s. That is actually... I don't, you don't know, know it. We have to hear it. You don't know the Old Dirty Bastard verse? Uh-uh, me and Mariah no, go back like babies and pacifiers? No, nope, I don't know. Oh. All right, we oh, yeah. gotta play. We're it listening. <laughs> yeah, let me grab it. 
keeping it real, son. That's right. The shining star. You're my shining star, girl. <laughs> Yo, New York in the house. It's Brooklyn in the house. Uptown in the house. Shelling, are you in the house? Boogie down, are you in the house? Oh, interesting. Even more Tom Tom Club, right? And so it looks like in the video, they are repurposing a lot of the clips from the original video and ODB tied up the clown to a light pole. Sick. Which means they probably shot it at the same time. Unless they got the clown back. popular at the time? No. Doing a hip-hop remix of a pop song was not common in 1995, and Mariah had to fight really hard to get this done. So the producer of the remix is Puff Daddy, and Puff Daddy had been sort of the pioneer of doing this kind of thing. He'd worked with like Mary J. Blige on that What's the 411 album. He'd done hip-hop remixes for R&B acts like Jodeci. So he's sort of the pioneer of this. So she goes, Jodeci. I haven't, heard, I haven't thought about them in 20 years. <laughs> so she works with Puff Daddy, and, and she insists on bringing in Old Dirty Bastard. And the record company is not about it, but she insists. And this is like the one battle that she wins, and that just takes the song to the next level. The remix also becomes a hit. It also kind of ushers in this whole new era of pop, R&B, hip-hop remixes. So something that a lot of people call it um, thug love remixes. Ja Rule duets? Exactly. So Ja, ja Rule and Ashanti duets. or Ja Rule and J-Lo kind of all owe their their existence to Mariah Carey's fantasy remix. Oh my god, I fucking love all those songs. It's weird that she has like a genius producer brain and and no one is listening. Like, she's like, I swear to god, this is gonna be a hit. Right. And everyone's like, sit down lady. I mean... That's the That's kind of the history goes. of music is <laughs> yeah. men ignoring ideas from women, especially white men. Me and Mariah go back like babies with pacifiers. Old dirt dog, no liar. Keep the fantasy hot like fire. Jump, jump, jump. Let me see you do the stuff. Girls, let me see you shake your rope. Get it from the back and the Let's do it, do it, do it. I'm a little bit of rock, I don't stole the soul. Big letters all big and bold, bold, dirty bass, dirty bass, blow.
So this album, Daydream, that Mariah has more creative control on than she's ever had before. She gets to work with producers that she wants, and she gets this hip-hop remix. Also becomes a big hit. It has six hit singles. Uh, so Fantasy, it has the song Always Be My Baby that Lindsay has mentioned a few times. I'm not going to mention all six, but then she also has the song uh, One Fine Day that she does with Boys to Men mm-hmm. that is a massive oh, hit also. Oh, shit. That is a huge hit. It's called One Sweet Day. I'm oh, so sorry. One Sweet Day. Okay. Oh, okay. And that song is also written with Walter Baby Love. So now we'll kind of get into why he's so important other than being the songwriter and the collaborator. Okay. So now you're wondering, why did you talk about this band Chick? That's where this comes in. So at the same time that Mariah Carey has been writing and recording and singing this massive hit album, Daydream, she was also recording another album at night. Every day, like at midnight, when they were finished working on Daydream, they would take the reels off. They're not digital yet. Put new reels on. And Mariah Carey recorded a grunge album. What? Her night job was grunge? Correct. So... (laughs) She started just kind of like goofing around after she was done working on Daydream, messing around with writing these songs that were, she calls it breezy grunge or punk light. Sweet. I love this. So like we talked about before, you know, she drives around in her car listening to music. That's kind of her escape. One of the genres that she loved to listen to was grunge or 1995. So it's probably more accurately post grunge, but she cites bands like Hole, Garbage was a big influence, Green Day. More pop punk, but it's okay. Later on, a producer also said that one of the influences was uh, Sleater Kinney. That rules. Although they had kind of just come out, so I'm not sure if that really was an influence at the time. But definitely that kind of music. So like girl-fronted rock bands she was a big fan of. And she also was a big fan not just of the music, but like how much freedom it seemed like they had. So she's like, man, Courtney loves. She gets to write all her own songs you know, play her own songs, do whatever she wants. She's not being controlled by her husband slash owner of her record company. And so she's really influenced by these artists and wants to like write songs like that. She's like, that seems so fun to write this kind of music. So she starts writing these songs. She said first, like as kind of a joke, but then they start getting serious about it. And they're like, okay, let's actually make an album. The band at first is called Eel Tree. Something, I guess she was on an airplane and she was looking at these trees from above and it Looked like there was eels hanging off of it. So Eel Tree is the name of her grunge band. The drummer is Walter Babylove. Mm. And was he also into grunge or is he just like along for the ride? You know, good question. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I got to imagine if you're in the music world and you're a producer, I mean, he started as a jazz guy. You probably oh, listen so he's, to... he can do anything. Yeah. Right. You probably listen to a lot of different types of music, so... Good question, but I'm not 100% sure. But I imagine, yeah, they probably all liked the same kind of music. Yeah, if they're goofing off after hours, it's like it's not like, uh, wow, I hate this. Right. So he plays drums. Uh, there's a guy who is playing synths on the record and doing some like programming. His name is Gary Kiramelli. They all have last names I can't pronounce. Ciramelli. I In my right. video about this, I call him a guy named Gary. And a lot of people <laughs> laughed at me. But all right, a guy named Gary... Who does since he plays guitar? He's the guitarist of Eel Tree, and then I don't know who the bass player is. It's actually kind of driving me crazy, but I have a guess. So when this album eventually comes out, spoiler alert, it does get released. They all have pseudonyms. So Walter, who Walter's real name is Vladimir, because he's like I said Russian. Uh, he goes by the pseudonym W Vlad, 
Gary, awesome. who goes by the pseudonym W. Chester, because Mariah at the time lived in Westchester, New York. So it's a nod to that. And whoever plays bass is just credited on the record as Man, M-A-N-N. And so there's a lot of theories about who it could be. A lot of people thought maybe Amy Mann, who's a bass player. That was player. my first guess. But it doesn't seem to totally fit the pseudonym. Nobody used like that much of their real last name. And also, I think she would have been in Boston at the time, like recording a different album. So I don't think she was available. But they do say like they would pull in random people into the recording studios. Like whoever was hanging out at the studio at night, they would pull them in to do like backing vocals and stuff. But there's a musician who played guitar on Daydream whose name was Dan Huff. But Dan spells his first name D-A-N-N. So my guess is that M-A-N-N is Dan Huff. And he yeah, played Dan bass. the man. That's my guess, but I haven't seen yeah. anywhere that it's confirmed. There was also a producer that worked on the record named Manuel Seal. Possibly could be him. I don't know. But my guess is Dan Huff. But it has not been confirmed anywhere I could find. I'll confirm it. Great. We're in. <laughs> I'm I'm 100% in on Dan Huff. Uh, okay, so I found this clip from Rolling Stone who interviewed Carrie's longtime producer, Dana John Chappelle, who is, uh, you know, credited on the Chick album. And it says, Dana John Chappelle doesn't exactly recall the moment Carrie presented the idea to the Daydream crew, but he does detail a fun, spontaneous experiment. Around midnight each night, as Patrick told us, the musical focus would shift and everyone involved would join Carrie's makeshift rock band. Programmer Gary Caramelli Cere-Melli? on guitar. Some guy named Gary. Some guy named Gary on guitar. Uh, Producer songwriter Walter Babyface on drums, and a member of the Stars management on bass. Oh my god! Man could be management manager. Do we know who the manager was at the time? She probably had a whole team. Okay, we got to look that up. Probably right. But who was not loyal to Tommy Mottola? So they're writing these songs. So they write a full album's worth of songs and they record them and it becomes this fun kind of just release. Like after all day writing, you know, perfect pop R&B classics, she goes in and like rocks out on these whole inspired grunge songs at night. Then Tommy Mottola finds out and her record label finds out. And they're like, what are you doing? And she's like, yeah, I wrote this whole grunge album. I actually think it's pretty good and I think we should release it. And they're like, no way, Mariah Carey, we don't even want you doing anything that's not pop music. You're definitely not putting out a grunge album. And she's like, no, I'll put it out under a pseudonym. It's fine. We're going to be called Eel Tree. Like, nobody will know it's me. But they're like, no, even under a pseudonym, we're not putting it out. So she's kind of like upset. But now they've done all this work on it. So they kind of come up with a compromise. They're like, we can't put this out with your vocals because you sound like Mariah Carey. Everybody's going to know it's Mariah Carey, and that's going to be bad for your image. So we have to have somebody else come in and re-record the vocals. What? So they bring in, Mariah has this old friend. Her name is Clarissa Dane, and she had been like a vocal coach and a photographer. She had been Mariah's roommate at one point. So there's like old friends. She's like, I'll bring my friend Clarissa in to do it. So Clarissa comes in, they take out all Mariah's lead vocal parts, they re-record it with Clarissa Dane, Uh, although you can still hear Mariah Carey singing the backup vocals, but her lead vocals are gone, and it's re-recorded. I think we all are in agreement that it is a stupid thing to think that that would be bad for her image. Yes. I mean, I would have... I would have been like the right demographic for it. I don't know what her, like, you know, only pop fans would have thought. I would have thought that it's awesome. Yeah, but I can't I can't believe that she can do that and this. 
Right. I mean, that's the thing that really blows my mind is she was recording these albums simultaneously. Um, so they say, okay, we'll put it out with these other vocals. Uh, they change the name of the group. They don't like Eel Tree. They change the name to Chick. I guess trying to cash in on it's kind of like a Riot Girl light type album. They move it over. They don't release it on Columbia. They put it out on Epic, which is a subsidiary, uh, another subsidiary of Sony. And the album comes out. It's released in 1995. It actually comes out before Daydream. <laughs> less less post-production, I suppose. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not exactly a hit. And it's kind of weird. So, so once all this came out, which we'll get to how it came out later, some people that worked on this Chick album has said it was weird. It, they, it seemed like they were pushing the album. They put out two singles from the album, even though the first one flopped. And some people that were working on it were like, why is there a second single for this album that nobody cares about but so it's kind of this weird they were pushing it but they also didn't want people to know that mariah carey had worked on it so they weren't pushing it so you know there wasn't a lot of marketing behind it and so the album flopped Uh, but they did make a couple videos and you you can see the videos on youtube and you can listen to some of the tracks although none of them are available for streaming none so let's look let's listen to a, a video let's watch a video uh, Demented is the name of the the biggest track. So this is the band Chick, written by Mariah Carey, backing vocals by Mariah Carey, but sung by Claire. What was her last Clarissa name? Dane. Clarissa Dane. You know, I know that you said it was like grunge light, but this is kind of indistinguishable to me currently from like actual like hole or garbage. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, like it's pretty close. I'm not worried about real grunge fans being like, <laughs> right. this isn't grunge. You know what I mean? This the other single is maybe a little lighter, but I mean, this the chorus on this one is you could solely hear Courtney Love singing this chorus. This reminds me of, you, you know, um, I think it's in Say Anything that, no, is it an episode of Boy Meets World where someone sings a song It's like, you're shallow. Either of you know what I'm talking about? Great. Is it Robin Sparkles? <laughs> a lot of people have brought up that comparison. Yeah, this song fucks. This song is a, is a good mid-90s Riot Girl grunge song.
So it got a little bit of play on MTV, and then it kind of faded away, and nobody ever found out that it was Mariah Carey. Um, she's credited on the album. Her wow. pseudonym on the album is D. Sue. That's another mystery I have. A lot of people have guessed maybe it just stands for Don't Sue. But uh, but that she she talked about in her memoir that she wanted to create like an alter ego. She wanted to have the Ziggy Stardust esque different persona singing these songs, like her rock persona. So I wonder if D Sue was like the name that she made up. You know, her Sasha Fierce was like Donna Sue or something. I don't know. I'm waiting waiting for Mariah to find my video hmm. and confirm. We'll we'll send this episode to her. Yeah. Although Clarissa Dane did find it and commented on it and said that it was the most accurate version of the story she'd seen. Hell yeah. Uh, weirdly enough, Clarissa Dane didn't have a pseudonym. She just used her regular name on the record. Uh, and then I don't think I ever put out any albums after this. Other fun fact, Mariah Carey designed the front cover. So if you want to look up the album art Ooh. for this, it's like a smashed cockroach with like lipstick. That was... Somebody else actually made it, but she had the idea. The name of the album is Someone's Ugly Daughter. Oh, yeah. Smash. This is cool. It's like a lipstick and smash cockroach and like a like lip kiss. Yeah, this is great. I love this. So Mariah doesn't get to put out the secret grunge album that she wanted, but it does seem like it kind of serves its purpose of giving her an outlet. Like she, Anytime she talks about her marriage to Tommy Mottola, she talks about being stifled, being smothered. She felt like she was locked away during their whole marriage. And so at least she had this kind of like release, this fun project to make. Uh, but nobody finds out it's her. Nothing else really happens with it. She continues on with her career. She gets divorced from Tommy Mottola in 1998. Good riddance. Puts out the album The Emancipation of Mimi. Uh, you know, so has written and sung a lot about that relationship and the divorce. You know, she gets remarried, moves on with her life. Tommy Mottola also got remarried again to a woman like 20 years younger than him, uh, the Mexican singer Talia. So in 2020, Mariah Carey releases her autobiography, The Meaning of Mariah Carey. And in the book, she casually mentions, as she's talking about the Daydream Sessions, oh, and I recorded this secret grunge album. And gives all the details and talks about the bands that inspired it. And that's where she says it's like a breezy grunge punk light album and talks about like the freedom that she thought that these artists had. And that's what she wanted to capture. Now everybody's like, oh my God, Mariah Carey recorded a grunge album. Is this real? Is this possible? And then Mariah herself tweeted, and in the tweets, she made a hashtag, hashtag chick. So then people were able to, you know, connect the dots. They found this album, Chick, um, Someone's Ugly Daughter, and it was, you know, way out of print. So people that did have physical copies of it were selling it on eBay. It got up to like $800. People were paying wow. for the CD. Wow. Now it's fallen. But it's still like a hundred bucks on Discogs if you want to get the actual CD. So, so in the autobiography, she didn't mention the band. She just mentioned like this is what happened. Right. She didn't get into the like the whole story. Just basically like we recorded the secret album at night, and Sony wouldn't let me release it. And she didn't say the name of the band, but people found out later. So she like soft launched it on Twitter. <laughs> basically, yeah. So ever since then, people have been asking her about it in interviews. She did an interview on the Questlove podcast, and people were asking her, like, are you going to do anything with this? When she first put out the autobiography, she said, those tapes of me singing, like, the lead vocals, I don't have anymore. So then later on, she confirmed, okay, I found the tapes. I found the original recordings of my lead vocals on these projects. But she couldn't find the original masters of the other stuff. 
So she was like working on it. it was an ongoing project. So then just a few weeks ago, she did this Rolling Stone podcast and they asked her about the grunge album because everybody keeps asking her about it. And she's like, yeah, I found the tapes of my lead vocals and I'm working on a project. She said, I'm working on it with like a secret collaborator that she didn't name that we don't know. D-man. And she's like, or yeah, man. What was his name? The man double N man double N. We don't know who it is. A lot of speculation about who it's going to be. Like, I think hopeful guesses. People are like, it'll be Dave Grohl or it'll be Courtney Love herself. Uh, I don't know. I have no guesses. But she's working on it with somebody. And she's confirmed, like, it's going to be released. It's going to come out, the original stuff with her lead vocals on it. And I'm super excited about it. Because even if you listen to Demented, like, you can hear the backup vocals. You can hear that it's Mariah in the background doing, like, these, like, grunge vocals. Yeah. So... Her lead vocals, I think, are going to be insane. I'm super excited about it. She hasn't, like, confirmed a release date or anything, but she obviously knows, like, the demand is there. She has the recordings, and it's going to come out. I'm wondering if they're going to re-record the instruments, like, that, like, um, Weedus did with Teenage Dirtbag, or if they're going to use that, like, there's, like, a lot of new AI technology that will, like, remove vocals from an old master so you can, like, put new vocals you know split up the tracks from a stereo file or something right yeah i'm wondering if that's what the secret collaborator is doing or if they're re-recording it i've seen some people guess travis barker so maybe like rick rubin or someone like rick rubin like a great producer who knows do we know when this is going to come out no no so she didn't confirm a release date just that like she's got what she needs and she's working on it that was enough for me to be excited. Surprise, it's Tommy Matola. <laughs> <laughs> so in a postscript to that, so Tommy Matola has like spoken about it and he has said, like, I, I recognize that the relationship was wrong, it was inappropriate, and like I apologize for you know being controlling, but he also still does give himself all the credit for her success. He's like, Yeah, I was not controlling, I was obsessive about her career, and like that's the reason she became so successful. So I don't regret mm. anything. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Mariah's talent or no. sense. It was <laughs> all Tommy not. Mottola. <laughs> so Tommy Matola, still shitty. Uh still a bad person. That's yeah. the title of the episode. Tommy Matola <laughs> still shitty. Walter uh Afans- Afanasif. I wish I knew how to say his name. Walter Afanasif. It's uh, just a sweet, sweet Afanasif baby. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to remember it. Walter Afanasief, he went on to produce My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I was so searching he, while, you, when you said baby love, I'm like, I know I've researched this guy before. And it's because we did that. We My did Heart an episode, episode. Yeah. Oh, you did? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> He's just one of those people. I love it when there's like a producer who the average person does not know their name. And then you look at their discography and it's like, oh, well, he worked on every song you would have loved in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. He also did a bunch of Disney stuff. He did like uh, A Whole New World and Beauty and the Beast. So. unsurprising that a whole new world and my heart will go on was was the same producer that like tracks and also the drummer for uh chick slash eel tree who knew <laughs> all right that's the end of the story that's all i got oh my god well thank you so much for joining us holy shit yeah, thank my- you for having me yeah total mind blower if people want to see more stories maybe in like us like a one to three minute length <laughs> Where would they find you? Uh, so Patrick Hicks 82 is my handle on TikTok. Uh, you can also search like Patrick Hicks Music Stories. You, you can find me. My dad made a Facebook post the other day. I was like, look up my son on TikTok. It's Patrick Hicks at Google. 
<laughs> so, so yeah, find you can him. Also, at just Google it. Patrick Hicks at Google, <laughs> and uh, every time I steal an episode idea from you, I will be sure to credit you in the future. Friend of the show, Patrick Hicks eighty two. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. Come back literally anytime. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. This is so much fun. Um, so what are we going out on this week, Patrick? This week, uh, we're going out on the song Malibu by Hole, because the band Chick also had a song called Malibu on Someone's Ugly Daughter. Great. Fun. Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, send us a note at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, go to lyricsforlunch.com, click on support the show, and tune in next week when we do this all over again. I will be back in the driver's seat, and I think we're going to finally take on the great David Bowie, because I saw the documentary, and it was garbage. And thank you so much, Patrick. Find him on TikTok, Patrick Hicks 82 for more thank amazing you both. musical content. Like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Tell your friends about us. It's the best way for us to get more ears. We've done this so many times. <laughs> we still can't ever get it right. Patrick, thank you for thank being Thank you both. <laughs> and until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. And I'm Patrick Hicks. Saying, record your grunge album. Just do Fine. it. Just do it. Good advice. Robin Dagger says do it. <laughs>